Hey, we are going through a series on the attributes and characteristics of God. Very excited to talk about today's topic. Uh, before I do, just want to emphasize something. Uh, you guys might or might not know this, but uh, when it comes to a church, you say, like, what are some of your values? Um, one of the things we really want to embody and live out is we experience life together. And uh, just before we hop into the message, I just want to emphasize this. We're kind of halfway through the first like quarter of groups. Um, I have a group. We have about 10 groups throughout uh, Broward and, and Palm Beach. But listen, we would love for you guys to join a group, uh, to talk about the message, to get to know people, uh, to apply it with each other, to keep each other accountable, just to like love on people, and to, to give and kind of to receive. So we have small groups happening just throughout the week. I just want to like remind you, because we're ha- kind of halfway through, it's still a great time just to jump in, find a group near you. You can go to our website on groups. We just love for you to be part of community. Uh, today in the Exchange 101, we are actually teaching on community. The Exchange 101, it's only four weeks long. It happens about three times a year. They're on the third week, and the topic is community. So I'm like, you know what, let's just talk about this for a second. We want to fight for, for this. Um, this has been so valuable to me, to our family, uh, just, I know just to our growth, our development, just being around like-minded people who are loving and pursuing Jesus together. And so I'd love for you guys to jump in, find a group, be a part of it. It maybe you're like, I need to lead a group. I want to start a group. Uh, come see myself or Taylor, one of the leaders. We'd love to train you and kind of show you what we do, but we'd love for you to be part of something like that. Um, so on the lines of community groups, uh, know this in just a few weeks, and I feel like this is, I hurt some people's feelings, so forgive me, but we are doing a couple's hangout. <laughs> All right. A couple's hangout on Friday, uh, March 18th, and this is the thing. Uh, I do premarital for a lot of couples. I feel like this is like a wedding season for like maybe the last couple of years. Um, just a lot of people getting married, about to be married, got married. We just want to see couples kind of come together and get to know each other. So um, this is for dating, engaged, married. We're going to do like a little couples mixer, couples hangout. We'll have some games. I'll do a little study. We'll hang out. It'll just be pretty chill. There'll be unlimited coffee, appetizers, desserts. So it's $25 per couple. Uh, sign up online. You'll see couples hangout. That's in a few weeks. Get your babysitter ready. Uh, I know we are. So uh, maybe for single, you're like, what about me? Can you watch our kids? That'd be super helpful. Um, <laughs> or other people's. But um, yes, that is just in a few weeks. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but I'm not. Um, so that's what's going on. We just want to fight for this. We want to fight for a community in this way. Um, listen, we are in the book of Romans and First Timothy. So again, if you want to just turn there, look there. Um, we are, this is our sixth week. We've done five weeks of just the attributes and characteristics of God. This year in 2022, we're like, let's just talk about God. Like, isn't that church? Like, yes, but let's just talk about the person of God. Who is he? What is he like? How does he reveal himself? How does he describe himself to us? Sometimes we'll say, like, God loves you, or God is good. And we're like, well, who is, who is God? And uh, it's just been fun for us to kind of look at the attributes and characteristics of God. I think this is so important because this will change, I believe, how we view him, how we pray, how we serve, how we do life, how we talk to people, knowing that we're image bearers of God made in his image, but sin has kind of broken that and skewed that and just perverted that. And we're trying to get back to this, this deep intimacy and relationship with God. And so we just want to talk about God. It's been so refreshing for me, to be honest, just slow down and be like, God, I need to remind myself of who you are, how you revealed yourself to different men and women throughout history, how you described yourself. And so this is just God made known. 
So very excited about this, and I, I just hope that God will move and speak today and bring clarity to a topic that might uh, be hard for me to even put words to, to be honest. And so here's let me, a, a couple of things. I want to make this really clear. I, I've shared this a couple of times, not to like overwhelm. It's, it's a really simple definition, but they usually use big words. There's something called the communicable attributes of God and the non-communicable attributes of God. The idea is this. Think communicable. Think community. There are attributes of God that God shares. It's like a community of attributes that God shares with us, with his creation. So we talk about how God is holy. We too are called to be holy. Our holiness is very different because of sin, but we talk about how God is holy. God is joy. God is just. God is love. We've been looking so far at attributes of God that God shares with us. Today, I want to like stop because we've kind of been going for a few weeks now on that, and I want to look at a non-communicable attribute of God, an attribute of God that is totally and wholly God's alone, and that is that God is transcendent. Uh, the point and the focus today is God is transcendent. Now, usually it's a, a, a word like that. You're like, what does that mean? It just means basically to rise above, to be above, completely and wholly, wholly unto its own class. God is in a, a class all by himself. And I'm very thankful for this topic because um, even just studying this, it kind of brings back worship. It kind of brings back the point of like wh why we're here. That God is God. No one is God. There's only one true God. And God is in a class unto himself. And when you read about this, like historically, um, a lot of different, you know, men and women throughout history that kind of describe God's characteristics, they might use another word or a similar word. God is supreme. God, God is preeminent. They might use a, a certain word, but just to describe that God is completely and wholly into a class all by himself. And again, it's, been, it's something like, it's just been, I don't know, it's just been like kind of exciting me again. Like, yes, Lord, there is no one like you. God actually said this in Isaiah 40, verse 25. God says, to whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? God is saying, I'm transcendent. Who can you compare me to? Who is my equal? I want us to see God in this way. So let me just kind of give some more like, words. I was actually really struggling. Like, is it God is transcendent? God is supreme? How do I word this? So I'm just going to put all the words I wanted to use up here. Um, here's the idea. God is supreme, preeminent, incomparable, infinite, all, immense, fullness, great, vast, awesome, absolute, no end, without end, unlimited, limitless, inexhaustible, authority, grander, majestic, boundless, fathomless, beyond comprehension, innumerable, immeasurable, a class unto himself. Amen? This, there's no one like our God. And I just want that to just resonate because... Again, there's like this fear for me every week to teach and grow maybe in like an interesting definition or thought, but to experience that God as just being completely transcendent unto himself. That's something I want us to ex experience. One church father wrote this. He says, we believe that thou art a being which nothing greater can be conceived. You think of the greatest being, just obviously God, nothing, nothing greater, a class holy unto himself. So when I use that word transcendent, a lot of times it's even described kind of with royalty. Paul does that in 1 Timothy, which we'll read. It's like completely sovereign, but different than what we'll do God is sovereign. But it's almost like God is his own. It's no equal. And there's a sense of royalty and dignity, majestic majesty there. I love what Jerry Bridges, a pastor, author, said. He says, transcendent majesty speaks of the infinite power, authority, royalty, dignity, and splendor that is God's. This is it. Martin Luther famously wrote to one of his uh, friends who's also a believer, thinker, writer. I think, I believe it was Erasmus. He wrote to his friend. He says, your thoughts of God are too human. See, my, my hope today is to say we serve a really big God. I just want to write like God is big. But again, that's not really it. Like how it is we view God, God is bigger than that. 
We might think we view God in a high and lofty way. It's even more than that. I just feel like there's like a lack of words when it comes to a topic like this. And it almost should lead us to a place of worship. That's like the only way I can explain it. There comes to a point in time where describing God in so many words that you go, I just can't do it with human tongue. Let's worship. There's almost that it leaves us in this place. So I think of David in Psalm 34. Here's the idea. David in Psalm 34 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. That's my hope today. Isn't that beautiful? Let us ma- oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's what we want to do. God is transcendent. I can't magnify it enough. Amen? I can't get there enough. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You know, throughout, throughout the Bible, there's men and women who kind of had this brief encounter with God. And it's almost like they, they get a, a taste of, of this transcendence. And I think of Job, and this, as we just about to pray and look at the verse, think of Job, where Job goes, I've heard about you by the hearing of the ear, but now that my eye sees you, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. Job's like, I've heard about you. I've heard about you, God. I've worshipped you. I've served you. I've given to you. I've made sacrifices to you daily for you and for my children. I've heard about you, but now that I, I see you, I, I abhor myself. I see myself, and I just repent in dust and ashes. I don't know. If you're like, what are you getting at? I don't know if there's any rightful way to respond. Other than when you see God is completely transcendent in a class into himself, the only way to respond is to God, I, I repent. <laughs> I look to you. I realize you're, you are so much better than what I'm currently serving or giving myself to. So I just want to see God as transcendent. Can we do that? Can we? I don't know if we can, actually. But let's try to do that. Cool? Um, we are in Romans chapter 1, in 1 Timothy 1. I want to read a section, Romans 1. And then I want to just read one verse out of 1 Timothy, a little different again, but I just think it's, it's necessary. So Romans 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1, we'll read and then we'll pray. Romans 1, verse 19 is where we will start, and then we'll immediately turn to 1 Timothy 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Paul writes, and just like focus, if you can, try to remove distractions, because I love this, he, just, he explains this. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What can be known about God? His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There's a sense of God's just transcendence in this. That God is completely into class by himself. Now, I want to read 1 Timothy 1. I was just debating again how to approach today because there's just so many verses and topics. But I had to read 1 Timothy 1 to you. Paul is basically sharing his testimony in 1 Timothy 1 and just turns this into a beautiful uh, sense of praise and worship. So 1 Timothy 1 verse 17. I just want to read this verse. This is God being transcendent. He says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. Can you actually read that with me? We're going to read that together, okay? Repeat. Say it with me. Ready? To the king of the ages, 
immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there, there's a sense right now of just at a lack. I feel like in my, even my preparation, God, I just feel like there's a lack of how to, how to talk about this. God, I just ask that you would um, speak, that you would move, that we would truly see you just, Jesus, high and lifted up. God, that um, you would just remind us, so often I do what Paul writes about in Romans 1, that I can exchange the truth about you, God, for a lie. And Lord, we just ask that we, we would not, that we would see those invisible attributes, your eternal power, your divine nature. God, that you would speak, that you would move, that this would just turn into a worship service of you as we just talk about you. And so Lord, we thank you, we praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, there's something really difficult about trying to give an example of transcendence. If you're like, have you ever had an experience that is like out of this world, unworldly? You're like, there's really not a lot of good examples. I was just trying to think of like, how do you even explain God being transcendent or just the idea of transcendence? There's, there's really a lack. It's the idea, it's out of this world. It's, it's a not, it's like an unworld, it's like, it just doesn't feel like it's a real moment. It's almost one of those pinch yourselves kind of moments. I know for a lot of us, it can be different things. Maybe it could be like a traveling experience or for all you foodies, you eat something really good and you're like, oh, that's an out of this world moment. I don't know. Um, for me, when I was like 14, I had, for me, this is a terrible example, so forgive me in advance. For me, one of those transcendent moments, I, I used to be, I used to live at the gym. Like, I le- not in a lifting weight kind of way, basketball. Um, 24 Hour Fitness had a gym, and I would, I would be there every day. At 14 years old in the summer, I think it was going to my sophomore year, I was always at the gym. It was like, it's just my favorite thing. I was one of the guys already. I was like one of those old men at, at 14, just living in the gym. And it's one of those normal days, I'm walking into the gym, and I see these four giants in the gym. Like, I turn the corner, it's a normal day. I see these four men playing two on two. And it was for 14, who was like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, it was one of the most exciting moments of my life. There's like four NBA players just at my local 24-hour fitness playing two-on-two. A guy named Eric Chenoweth, who's like 7'2". You don't know these names. Another guy named Sean Rooks. Sean Rooks played for the Clippers. The Clippers are my team. Yes, I'm like the only Clippers fan in Southern California. Um, so I walk in, I see like Sean Rooks. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a Clipper. Again, no one cares about that. But it's unbelievable to see these like giant men. Like seven foot one, seven foot two, six foot ten, other two guys, I didn't know their names. But they're just battling it out, and I'm like, this is the coolest moment of my life. And like later that like week, Dennis Rodman walks in, and I'm like, there's Dennis Rodman. And just seeing these men, it was unreal to me. It was like my dream of like, oh my gosh, I get to see some like people that I looked up to. And it's one of those like, am I really here? Did I just like sneak in? Like, what's going on? For me, it's a pinch me moment. Now for you, you're like, I don't really care about that. Um, but I don't know what that is. It felt trans. It felt out of this world to me. Like, where am I right now? Now that is a terrible example. But think about this again. What is that for you? I don't know if you've ever had a moment like my wife and I, a bucket list place. We would love to go to Iceland. That's like a bucket list place for us. It seems like whenever I see videos, everyone's going there, right? For the last 10 years, everyone's going there. And I'm like, why are we not there yet? But uh, we see these little videos, like waterfalls and like the northern lights. And I'm like, is this on planet Earth? How do we like, what are, where are we like, what are we missing here? Like, it looks unbelievable, right? And there's like these moments or these things. It could be a place. It could be maybe you stood at the edge of a waterfall. You stood at the edge of a mountain, looked up, and you just felt like, wow, this doesn't feel worldly. It's interesting. I really do think the only example you can give of transcendence is God. Like, there's really no other, like, what example can you give? It's like, I don't know. Like, God? There's really no other good example of this. When you think about something being transcendent, just above and beyond, out of this world, uh, in a class completely unto itself, there's really no good example we can give other than God. Other than the only true God, the one God, who is self-existent, 
eternal, omniscient, omnipotent, immense, infinite, a God who can just speak and universes are formed. I mean, what other words can we use to describe his transcendent other than God? One author said we shouldn't even use that word except for God, because nothing is transcendent except him. And so I, I feel like today, just preparing for this, I want to communicate this truth that God, this immortal, invisible, this infinite, all-powerful God, in a class unto himself, it's hard to describe. I feel like I've been at a loss. I've just had to like read some scripture, a lot of scripture going, okay, Lord, how do you put this together? And so I feel like there's a framework I want to try to do my best to, to kind of give you today. There's other attributes of God that I want to share. So this might be God is transcendent, but there's other attributes of God that I think make him holy unto a class all by himself. And so we'll walk through a couple other attributes as we try to create this framework. Does that make sense? Can we do that? So here's the, kind of the three points today. We're going to look at just this transcendent paradox that everyone points out. There's a paradox when you talk about God being holy unto himself. Uh, there's transcendent perpetually, and then transcendent power. Don't make fun of my alliteration. I tried. Um, here's the idea. We're going to see how God is imminent, God is infinite, and God is incomparable. When you talk about God being completely transcendent, we need some other attributes to help kind of build up that framework in our minds. So I do want to look at the first point. Number one is God, uh, this, this transcendent paradox, or God is in, imminent, imminent. So stay with me. There, there's a paradox, meaning when you hear that word paradox, there's two things that seem to contradict, but in reality they complement each other. So here's the idea. God is transcendent, holy unto in class all by himself, but he's also imminent, meaning he's in everything. God is everywhere. Not just omnipresent, we'll define the difference, but God is penetrating through everything. So God is transcendent in a class all by himself, but also here, and imminent. Now, let me kind of break this down first. Um, when I say God is transcendent, again, we got to be really clear. God is completely supreme, sovereign over it all. No one compares in a class all by himself. We cannot make up or imagine God. No one can sit down and imagine this God or make up this God. God would have to make himself known to us. We can't sit there and create a God that we can worship. We can't sit there and go, I think God would be like this. God would have to reveal himself to us and make himself known to us. I love what Tozer said about this on this God is imminent. He says, the God whom I could think up with my head, I will never get down on my knees to worship, never. The God that we can make up, because there's, there's we're almost accused of that as Christians. You made this God up. You made this up, God up. You made God, God after your own image. No, I could never do that. I would never want to do that. I would never want to worship a God that I could make up or imagine. This God is transcendent. This God would have to use language to try to kind of come across who he is and what he's like. So often the Bible uses something we call anthropomorphic language. It's kind of like man language to describe God. God says, my hand is so, not so short that it cannot save. Or my ear that it cannot hear. Does God have a hand or an ear? No, God is spirit. But God uses language to help us understand. God is saying, I want, I want you to understand who I am. And God is saying, I am transcendent. I'm in a class all by myself. So here's the verse. Uh, a few, many verses, but here's one of them. Psalm 97 says, For you, Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. God is transcendent. He's like, you're above all. You're high above everything. But also, at the same time, when I say transcendent paradox, so stay with me, he's not just transcendent, he's imminent. So here's another verse, Jeremiah 23, 24. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. God is transcendent, high above, but also imminent. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Again, if you are taking note and you want to write this down, when we talk about the imminence of God, God is also imminent, not imminent, 
Maybe you've heard me say Jesus' return is imminent, meaning he can come at any time. He can arrive at any time. There's an I in there. This is imminent. It's not that he arrives at any time, but that he fills everything. So here's what one author says. He says, God is imminent, which means you don't have to go distances to find God. He is in everything. He is right here. I want us to think about this. God is transcendent, but he's here. God is far above, high above, but isn't he here? Yeah, he is. And there's this paradox that's kind of being communicated here. A a verse that explains this is Colossians 1. It says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's almost pervasive in how he works and moves. He is that atomic, the atomic glue that holds us together. Like the idea is that God is in it. He's transcendent, but he's imminent. This verse to me explains it probably the best. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 through 6. Paul says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Over all, transcendent, through all and in all, imminent. This is the God you and I worship. God is completely above all, but he's also through all, in all. I want us to understand that this is the God you and I are worshiping today. So maybe you've heard this idea, and we'll get to this. God is omnipresent. There's a sense where, like, yes, God is everywhere at once, and that is a beautiful thing. I'm going to try and make a distinction. God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere, but God is also imminent, which means that God penetrates everything. God is omnipresent and imminent, penetrating everything even while he contains all things. So it's not just this general idea. We get this idea of God is omnipresent. He's here. He's with Psalm 139. Where can I go? Where can I flee? But there's also this idea that God is in all things, through all things. He's holding the world together. All things things are upheld by his word, by his power. There's a side of this, too, where I believe imminence really communicates this idea of not just God. We know like he's there, but God is like manifestation presence, like God's presence. There, there is so, so many times in Scripture where you see that God show up, and, and basically maybe it's Jacob saying, God is here in this place. Or this idea of, like, we sense that God is here. It's weird. It's hard to describe because people will say, I, you know, how do you describe when, like, heaven comes to earth? And it almost feels like God is with us, like God is here. Not just we know in this omnipresence kind of a way, but in this imminent way. Like, it, his manifestation presence is here with us. And that's a very sweet thing, and it's hard to even describe. It's funny, church history kind of describes it as, like, the thin places where just basically God meets earth, where God shows up. Maybe you've had these moments with God. Maybe you've been just driving in your car. Maybe even going through and something, maybe you just had worship music on and you feel like God was speaking or moving and you're like, what the heck is going on? Maybe it's in worship in this place where you like, feel like God is here, not just in this omnipresent, again, kind of a way, but in this imminent way. Like, I feel like God is penetrating, working, moving. Like, his manifest, manifested presence is in our midst. That's a very sweet thing. That is a thing that we should, and I feel like church history, we just do long for that. We crave it. We can't fake it. We can't manufacture it. There's a sense where it's like, you know the sun is there, but maybe there's clouds covering the sun. And you're like, I know the sun's there, but I just want those clouds removed, you know? And I don't know, it's hard to ex- explain. You're like, God, I just want to, I want to know. I want to experience you. I want to I see you in this way. I want to feel you in this way. There's something where I think with the church, shouldn't, we shouldn't just settle and be like, I know he's omnipresent. I know he's there. There should be like this desire and hunger. Like, no, no, but I also want him. Like, I want to, I want to experience that. And it's hard to put words to. God is transcendent. God is not like at the top of a pyramid, right? Where it's like, okay, I, don't, I have no idea what's at the bottom. Like you have bunnies, they're cute things, they die. Then you have eclipses above them, like, and you have like, you know, a great white shark. Then the humans were the apex predator. And then like, there's God. All right, God's not even in the triangle. He's he made the triangle, right? Like he's completely outside of it. He's not just outside, he's completely transcendent. We got to see that. 
we also see that he's here. He's near. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we pray prayers, and it sounds silly if you think about it. Like, God, come here. Meet us. Be here. He's like, I'm there. <laughs> like, I'm there. Like, we, sometimes we think of, like, ge- like, almost like a geographical thing, like distance. Maybe God is far away. God, come on. Come. Come meet us. I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, right here. There's an idea that I'm closer than your thoughts. I'm closer than your, your soul being to your body. What do you mean? I'm, I'm here. There's something that I think this, this realization of, of God's presence and yet God's transcendence. There's something beautiful when you say, God, there's no one like you. You're high. You're lifted up. You're high above. And this is almost parabolic language we use to say, God, you're completely into a class under yourself, but at the same time, you're with us. It's, it's unbelievable when you try to put those two thoughts together. One author, John Tyson, said this about God's presence. He says, it's the difference between God's omnipresence and manifest presence. We have to create environments that actually facilitate an encounter with the living God. You can remember, you can read this. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, uh, when the prophetic is working well in the church, the unbeliever will come in, the secrets of the heart will be exposed, and they'll fall on their face and say, surely God is among them. And he says, and that is my testimony. There's a side of this where we want people to go, wow, surely God is among them. Not just in this omnipresent way, but God is among them. That when you, we speak forth, when we open the word of God, and, we, and it's not even us. When we open the word of God, God is just speaking and moving directly to you. You feel like it's personal because the Holy Spirit is speaking directly to you and moving to you. And saying, I must be lifted up in your life. I am not transcendent in your life. Something else is transcendent. I want to take my rightful place again in your life. And there's something where we go, wow, God, you're, you're transcendent, but you're also right here and you're speaking and moving. I love what, again, Tozer said about this. He says, God, God is always nearer than you may imagine him to be. God is so near that your thoughts are not as near as God, your breath is not as near as God, your very soul is not as near to you as God is. And yet because he is God, he, his uncreated being is so far above us that no thought can conceive it, no words express it. Th- this idea of God being completely in a class by himself and yet among us, the only way to respond is worship. I love what this one author, Amanda Jenkins, said. Listen, she said, God's imminence and his transcendence are both reasons for humanity to worship him. Humanity worships the imminence of God because the creator God of the universe has made himself noble to humanity. Humanity worship God, the transcendent God, because they understand that he is the creator and sustainer of the universe, the originator of life and ever every good gift, and that he is bigger and greater than anything they will ever have the ability to comprehend. This is why we're doing this series. This is why we're doing this. This is why we're saying, let's just talk about God. Because there's something about when, you under, when you're trying to understand, it's us finite trying to understand the infinite. And there's something we God, the only way to respond is just through worship. So there's this transcendent paradox. He is completely high above, but he's also among us. Next, we're going to see this. When we talk about the transcendence of God, it's not like he's a little bit transcendent. It's not like his characteristics or other attributes are 99% transcendent, but he's perpetually transcendent, or God is infinite. So stay with me. God is infinite. Again, this is one of those w- weird things, right? When I say, let's try to understand the infinite God, we know there's a loss. Like, we know our finite minds cannot take in or understand the infinite God. There's something that's incredible. I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Have you guys, like, thought about heaven? And your mind just kind of hits this brick wall where you're, like, forever. You're, like, thinking, like, forever, like that. But you're, like, thinking about it, and you're going, oh, my gosh, wait. So we can, like, live, like, what happens, like, what happens after, like, a thousand years? Like, keep going. You're, like, what about 10,000? You're just still going. I can't, and your brain's like, I can't do that. You're like, I know. It's very hard. We go, God is infinite. See, there's something about when we talk about his transcendence, we also got to understand that God is an infinite God. 
And I want to make sure I clarify this. So um, we th- I think of this verse when Solomon was building the temple to God and dedicating the temple to God. Solomon prayed and said in 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Like what can contain you, God? You're an infinite God. Like, I, I, again, we're like at a loss here. I, again, I've, I've quoted this before, but um, it was Francis Chan who talked about, like, it's us trying to, you know, take our brain, which is very limited, pretend our brain's like a cup. You go to the ocean, you scoop up, you know, some of the ocean, you go, I have the knowledge of God. Like, okay, yeah. Like, you have this little cup of, like, the knowledge of God, but there's still this infinite ocean that goes on and on. It's very hard for us. Like, we, there's a lack of words there. But I want to kind of build off this. What do I mean by God is infinite? God is infinite, meaning God has no limits, knows no limits, no bounds, and no end. What God is, he is without boundaries, all that God is, he is without bounds or limits. We need to see God as without limits. We need to see God as, as limitless. This is, even less, when we say God is infinite, it is an attribute, but it's also like an adjective to describe the other attributes of God. So God is infinitely good. God is infinitely loving. God is infinitely wise. Like God is omnipresent because he's imminent, imminent, infinite. He can go on and on. We talk about the knowledge of God. It's not like God is 99% smart, right? Like, you got to think about, like, okay, out of 100% of the knowledge in the universe, God knows 99. You're like, well, that's not God. No, he knows all of it. He, he's infinite. It just goes on and on. And I love that because that means his mercy is not finite. That means his love is not finite. This idea of God being infinite, just when you apply it to his character and nature, it means his love goes on and on. His mercy goes on and on. There's something so, so amazing about this. I just I don't know how to respond. God, that you are, compl- you are infinite, without limits, boundless. God, I, I, I can thank you that whatever it is I'm going through, it's not like you can't go, my hands are tied here. I wish I, I can't do it. I don't have the authority or power. There's something that we need to remind ourselves about the God we worship. I, again, I really feel like there's a temptation for us to maybe make God small, there's a temptation for us to maybe forget how big our God is. There's a tempta- temptation for us to not want to take risks or do things for the kingdom of God because we're like, will God show up? Is God big? Like, and we, 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 I think we minimize God. We put God in a box. We go, God, you're, you're the infinite God. You're transcendent. It's not like you're, you're, you're above us by a little bit. You're infinitely transcendent. <laughs> and there's something so freeing and so empowering that you go, okay, God, I need to, remind my, I need to be reminded of who it is I worship. Who does I serve today? Who it is I, I seek. One more Tozer, he says, God, listen, to be God must be infinite in all that he is. He must have no bound and no limit, no stopping place, no point beyond which he can't go. When you think of God or anything about God, you'll have to think infinitely about God, which again, we really can't, <laughs> which again, our brain kind of hits this wall. When your mercy goes on, your love goes on, your justice goes on and on, your holiness goes on and on. Like, h- help me understand that, God. Help me just appreciate that. I feel like there's practical ways to approach this. I don't know if this will make sense, but here's the idea. God is without limit. Therefore, there's no limit in God's ability to, listen, there's no limit in God's ability to take away habitual sin and break its power over you. There's no limit to turn a wayward child or loved one back to Jesus. There's no limit to take a broken marriage or relationship and bring restoration and redemption. Do we get that God is without limit? This is so much not like, let me just teach a, a, a characteristic or attribute or definition of God and let's just walk away. We have to see, God, help, help me apply this. Help me believe this, Jesus. God, apply this into our relationships, our family, our marriage, our life, our church. God, that you're, inf- you're infinitely good. 
you're, you're, this, this, you have, this, you're not, there's no limits on you in this way. That's why I feel like I'm just like, this one, I'm going to go, how do I, exp- I don't know how to even walk through this idea of God being transcendent. I have to, like, talk about his infiniteness. <laughs> uh, they, I some call it his infinite I don't know. We, just, there, we have to find a way to go, God, just without limits here. I need to understand and approach it that way. I love what one author said, and hear this. Robert Morey wrote about this, and he says, this is so necessary. God would not be God if he, had, if he wasn't infinite, if he wasn't transcendent. Here's what he said. Once we deny any of the infinite attributes of God, he becomes a finite being. Once this happens, God can no longer be the origin of universal truths and moral absolutes. Why? A finite God needs an infinite reference point to explain him. God becomes just one more particular in search of a universal. Everything becomes relative, including God. Again, there has to be something that's infinite. There has to be something that goes on and on. God is not finite. He is the reference point. He is the infinite. He's the one that goes on and on. This is so key for everything. So here's why I think this is so fascinating. If you actually look at kind of like Paul's day, Greek culture, what was going on, they had unique ideas about Jesus, or about God, sorry. They had unique ideas about God. And here's what they'd say. The Greeks assumed that God must either be finite or, and personal or infinite and non-personal. Stop there. The Greeks believed that God had to be either finite, he's, he's limited, and that way he can be personal. Or he's infinite, and that means he's not personal. They, that's how they had to view him. But Christians come on the scene, they go, no, but God is actually both infinite and personal. Like, they, they miss the point. There's this thought, like, okay, God maybe is, like, one of the gods in the sky, and, you know, he has, like, moral attributes like us, and maybe he messes up here and there. Like, he's finite. So he's finite, but that means he's personal. Or they say, no, but or he's either an infinite, all-powerful, but that means he cannot be personal. And Christians go, no, no, he can both be infinite and personal. This infinite God entered this virgin womb. This infinite God took on humanity. Th- this imminent God... This transcending God became imminent and, and walked among us. He is both infinite and personal. I think we have such a unique view of God. We're saying God is not just distant. He's not just transcendent. He's not just out there. He's among us. He's with us. He walked with us. And his spirit, he's still with us. Penetrating, moving. And the manifestation presence of God is still at work. And this idea of God, you're, you're infinite, but you're imminent. And it's unbelievable to go, how, how, that's why you're transcendent. <laughs> Because there's like a lack of words for, for this. So here's my question. What lies are you believing, thinking that God is either unable or undesiring to help you? Meaning, I think sometimes we forget that God is also good in his desires. That we maybe, maybe you think he's unable or he doesn't have the desire. And I think again, we, we put a, like a limit on God. And so, this leads me to my next point, number three. We see transcendent power. This transcendent power. That God is not just imminent or infinite, but God is incomparable. He's incomparable. So let's go back to Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Can we do that? Romans 1, verse 19. Let's just read through this and look at this last thought. God is incomparable. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Let's just read it again. He says, for what can be known about God? Would you guys, yeah, turn there, read with me. It's, more, it's better when you read it. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. What is God like? Who is God? He showed it to them. What did he show to them? He showed them his invisible attributes, namely what? His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for 
images for idols, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul's saying some really interesting things here. He's going, man is without excuse here. He goes, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. And he names a couple specifically. He goes, specifically, his eternal power. You can look at creation alone, Paul is saying, and should say, you should go, wow, there should be something more powerful than this mountain I see, than this river I see, than this world I see, than this moon I see. There should be something that put that into existence. He's saying God's invisible attributes, specifically his eternal power and divine nature. You should be able to look and say, wow, there must be some uncaused cause here. There must be something very powerful here. What is that? Who is that? And he's saying God's eternal power is seen in that way. Now, they exchanged the truth for a lie, they said. This idea of God, they, they gave it up. They said, I don't know if I want to be held accountable to whatever this power is. There's something incredibly powerful, but I don't want to be under that power. I want the power. In a sense, that has been the problem with man from the very beginning. They exchanged the truth for a lie. This idea that God has eternal power, but we don't want a God who has eternal power, because that means he has power over me, and I want to be God, and I want that power. He's basically saying, you either serve God of, of eternal power, or you're going to fight for the power. And you're exchanging the truth for a lie. There is that quest for that. Uh, again, Robert Morey said about this, he says, listen, if God is not transcendent to you personally, you will have an idol take his place. To me, this summarizes Romans 1. If God is not transcendent to you, if God does not have eternal power, you will have something take its place. And, and that is really what Paul is getting at in Romans 1. He goes, you gave up worshiping and serving the one true eternal powerful God. This is a transcendent power, this eternal power. You give this up for images, for idols, for something, a created thing. And maybe it's a good thing. But you gave up this eternal power for some lesser power. It's crazy because you think about it, that's what it is. That basically everyone, we know this, everyone has something that they seek after or they worship or they want or they get some value or meaning. It says they worship. Actually, the phrase is interesting, right? In verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. There is this idea that you're going to worship something. You're going to seek out power from something. You're either worshiping and serving the creator or you're worshiping and serving something from creation. And something from creation might be even a good thing that God made, a beautiful thing that God made. If I just have this person and get married, then I'll have, and we have some, some of these ideas that we've, we always fall into this trap that this lesser power will fill that need of what, have I, of what I have in my life. Tim Keller says about this, he says, God, listen, God, if you approach him, must be approached as the supreme authority in your life. He cannot be one more God among many. He demands a preeminence and a supremacy, and the ascendancy in your life. He just, he just demands the ascendancy, the transcendent. He demands that place in your life. He must be supreme. I mean, Romans 1 to me is actually going back to the first of the, of the Decalogue, the first of the Ten Commandments. That in Exodus 20, verse 3, he simply says, you shall have no other gods before me. Paul in Romans 1 is saying, this is what we've been doing from the very beginning. It's interesting. Like, the thesis of the Bible is keep the one true God in his rightful place in your life because there's going to be this battle for other idols in your life. There's going to be this battle to have other gods. There's going to be this battle for other things. And basically you could say the story of the Bible is saying we once had relationship and intimacy with God. God was once the, the preeminent one in our lives and we said, you know what? Maybe God is withholding good. Maybe God isn't as good as we think he is. Maybe I can have power. And we exchanged God's eternal power for a lesser power. And see, this is the trap we can fall into. It's this idea that maybe God 
can't save me. Maybe this other thing will save me, quote unquote, save me. Maybe this other thing will give me more meaning and value and purpose. And we seek out these other things, then we go, why, why? Okay, that didn't work. I'll try out this other thing. I'll go from one thing to the next. Money didn't work. Success didn't work. Power didn't work. Sex didn't work. Okay, I'll just go from one thing to one thing. These little powers, they don't meet that eternal power void in our life, and we just keep exploring all these other forms of lesser power. When God says, no, my eternal power is seen. But the, the terrifying thing to us is that we must come under that eternal power. The terrifying thing to us is go, but God, if you're God, that means I'm not. Yeah, that's what it means. That means, God, if you're God, like, you and I might not disagree, or might disagree on some things. Yeah. Well, who's right? Not me. Like, the point is, is there's something incredibly humbling about this eternal power. Because what he says has more weight than what I say. What he says is true and right. And there's this idea that, like, we exchange the truth for a lie. Men, we do this so often. For so often we go, I don't want that. I don't want to come under that. And maybe this one thing, maybe this person, maybe this experience, maybe this point of success, maybe this will deep meet that deep craving and longing in my heart. And time and time again, it fails us. And time and time again, we go on to something else. And in reality, God is like, are you, are you done yet? This, this void that you're searching for is only satisfied and fulfilled in me. As Blaise Pascal so rightfully said, there's a God-shaped void or vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. There is this God-shaped void in the heart of man. And we go, oh, I'm gonna go, I'll try to fill it with this thing, this experience, this moment, this person. And I'm, it's, I'm not satisfied. I'm still frustrated. I'm still annoyed. Because why? There is this eternal power, this eternal void in our heart. And only the eternal, powerful God, this transcendent power can fill that void. And Paul's saying, stop exchanging the truth for a lie. We do this so often. You exchange a lesser power, a greater power for a lesser power. One way to say it is, you are dependent upon a, p- a power that transcends you. You know, it is, it is interesting. I think as you kind of go through life, you realize, I have less and less power. I have less and less control. There is truly this battle for control in our lives. And then when you, you see loved ones get diagnosed with cancer, when you see your kids maybe making decisions you don't, wouldn't make, you realize, actually, I have no power here. Actually, God, I'm, I'm wholly dependent upon your power. I'm not as strong as I think I am. <laughs> I'm actually incredibly more weak. Like, the idea is like, oh, my gosh, there's this, this thirst and hunger for power, for control, for salvation. And it's only going to be satisfied in this God. And, and my thing is, why, why, why do we keep going from one thing to the next? We know, we know it won't. We exchange for the truth for a lie all the time. And Paul is saying, don't, don't partake, don't give into this. These things will leave you empty and meaningless, like, and hungry for more. And, and we know it's only fulfilled by this God-shaped void in our life that is made known through the person of Jesus. Here's the thing. When we talk about God being transcendent, it, it has to be less of an idea or less of an attribute and more of just the reality in our lives. Like, God, we need your, you. You. We need you to be transcendent in my life. We know you are transcendent. Like, we know that you are high above. There's no one like you. You're in a class under yourself. But are you transcendent to me? Like, are you high above everything in my life? When, it, when God says in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before. I'm the Lord. I am the Lord. Like, I am Lord, not you. Like, you shall have nothing. Nothing shall take my place. But so often, everything takes God's place. And, and we just go, well, it's, not, it's not fulfilling like I thought it would be. Yeah. My thing is this. God wants to be transcendent to you. God has made us with this eternal void that can only be satisfied in him. You are dependent on a power that transcends you and that is only fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And we can know this in theory, but do you know this experientially? Jesus said in John 12, he goes, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now he spoke concerning the cross. In John 12, he goes, if I'm lifted up, people didn't realize that at the time. But he says, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. At the cross, Jesus was lifted up. He was, in a sense, above them on the cross. And he goes, the cross is how I draw people to me. Here's the thing. Jesus must be lifted up in our lives. 
he must be high above and lifted up. And watch him draw you. God is transcendent. God is in a class unto himself. The amazing thing is, he goes, but will you let me be transcendent in your life? The amazing thing is, he goes, I am that. Whether or not you acknowledge that, you will. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to Jesus Christ as Lord. Whether on heaven or under the earth or on the earth, everyone's going to. The point is, let's, let's do it now on the earth rather than under the earth. God is transcendent, but let us acknowledge that today. We will all acknowledge that at one point. But today, let that be the day we say, but God, you're transcendent in my life. Be above everything in my life. My, my hope in, in talking about this today, again, just in church, I, I so often forget. Like, I so often get distracted. I, the news pops up in my phone like anyone else's phone. The articles of what's happening around the world, the distractions, the economy, the world, everything's going on. I'm like, what is going on? That, that happens to me. That plagues my heart just like anyone else's heart. And God is like, am I lifted up? Am I high and lifted up? Am I above that all? If all of that is taken away, do you still have everything you need? If all of that is removed from your life, do you still have everything you'll ever need and want? We know something is an idol in our life when if we say, if I don't have this, then I'm going to be miserable, then life is over, then you know that that is the true transcendent God in your life. But if you can say, Lord, it doesn't matter. Jesus plus you equals everything, plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else is enough for me. God, just, you are enough. God's like, I am transcendent, and I want to be transcendent in your life. So a couple of questions I want like you more to explore with the Lord. Are you currently finding purpose, meaning, and salvation in anything other than Jesus? If so, what is that? Talk through that. Is there something that's giving you meaning or purpose or value? It's like that salvation, like, if I could just have this, then my life makes sense, then my life works. If I could just have that, that job, that career, if I could just be seen and known, then, then my, my, my greatest goals in life are met and my life is perfect. Like, if that is there, like, what is that? Identify that. Talk through that. And I guess the question next is, is Jesus just a means to an end then? Is Jesus a means to an end? What is it that you want the most? So often, Jesus for us can be a means to something else. I'll pursue Jesus so I can get fill in the blank. And Jesus doesn't want to be a means to an end. He wants to be the end. He wants to be that end goal. Just me. Come to me. I'm the way. Come to me. You're weary. You're tired. I will give you rest. Come to me. He doesn't want to be used for, as a means to an end. He is the end. See, Jesus is transcendent. He is the preeminent one. All things come under him. And he wants that to be true in your life, in my life. Amen? I just want to spend some time by just worshiping and acknowledging that. I would say the only way to respond to a God like this is like Job. I've heard about you, but now that my eye sees you, I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. The only way to respond is saying, God, you are enough. God, I'm not going to fall for the lies of this world that if I could just eat this forbidden fruit, then I'll be happy because I know it never does. I don't want to exchange this truth for a lie anymore. God, you're enough. And I just want to say, I want to invite you into that. You can place Jesus as the preeminent one over your life, that he is number one overall, that that eternal void is satisfied in this eternal power in God. He has this transcendent power. Why don't we just pray? Why don't we just worship? Why don't we just sing? Why don't we just even confess? Can we just make this a time of worship where we just say, God, I want to confess some things that have taken your place in my life. God, I want to surrender some things. God, I want you to take your rightful place. I give it over to you. You are over it all, and I'll be over it all in my life. You are the Lord. Like, be Lord of my life. Not just Lord in theory. Be Lord of my life. Can we just take some time and respond to him? So let's do that. Why don't you bow your heads? Take a moment. Be still. Say, God, speak to me. God, remove those idols. I don't want to exchange the truth for a lie anymore. I don't want to suppress the truth anymore. 
that there is no one like you, God, you have that conversation with God. You talk to him. This is you and him. Our prayer right now is just be exalted. God, be magnified. There is no one like you. God, forgive me for exchanging the truth about who you are so often for a lie. God, I know my, my own heart. I fall into the trap that something else will bring me more meaning, more value, gives me weight, gives me importance. God, let me find my identity solely in you. That God, that you are enough. That great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. We just want to praise you. We want to worship you. The problem says they did not honor you, acknowledge you, did not give thanks to you. God, we want to give thanks to you. Everything in our life is from you. Everything good in our life is from you. We praise you, Jesus. We acknowledge that, Jesus, you were lifted up on the cross to draw all people to yourselves. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your blood, that by your stripes, by your blood, there is the forgiveness of sins. That, Jesus, we can have right relationship with you. We just want to praise you now, God. Better are your ways. God, more transcendent are your ways. They're far above me. Who can understand them? Who is your equal? No one, God. So we just praise you, Lord. We just say, God, thank you. Thank you, God, for pursuing us. Thank you for becoming a man, for becoming imminent. That, God, you, you pervaded all things. You came to us. We just want to say thank you, Jesus. We just want to praise you now. God, we ask for anything that was unclear that you would just make it clear. Anything that's not from you, remove that. Jesus, we just ask that you would be high and lifted up. That we would see you. There is no one like you. We praise you now. In your name, Jesus.